0: Turn to Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be tonight. I'd like to finish up some of the thoughts that we were looking at this morning about keeping the main things, the main thing, the biblical expectations of a local church. And uh, sometimes it's easy to uh, give in to the the unbiblical um, expectations of the consumer. And uh, we live in a culture that's kind of creating consumers, church consumers and, you know, they have, they, they have this expectation of something like entertainment. Well, we're not in that business. And uh, we, we can't entertain like they can in New York or in Hollywood. And, and if we're not careful, we can start to adjust who we are um, based on consumer mindsets. We can be distracted by the peripherals and forget our priorities. And we need to answer this question, what are the biblical expectations of a local church so that's kind of what we started looking at so we'll be in Acts chapter 2 let's go ahead and stand and get right into this tonight Acts chapter 2 we'll begin reading in verse 41 and uh, we'll we'll read down to the end of the chapter let's just read this together out loud everyone reading together Acts chapter 2 verse 41 ready begin Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common." And sold their possessions and goods and departed them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. they eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, it's very, I think it's, I know that it's not scientific, but as I was reading this, I noticed we've got seven verses. We just read seven verses. And if you go uh, kind of three in it, two and a half, three verses in, um, you see kind of right there in the middle, verse 44, there's a word that's kind of right in the middle of the passage that I think sums up, uh, ...what I'm trying to get across to you tonight, okay? It's a, it's a common word, one that we see. Verse 44, it says, and all that believed were... What's the next word? Together. together. And I really believe if we're going to sum up... ...the, the function of a New Testament church... ...it's that word, yeah. together. Yeah. Meaning Jesus Christ at salvation... ...brought us together in Jesus Christ... And then he places those members in the body as it pleases him together into a local church body. Someday in heaven we'll be an, a large assembled body of believers together. For eternity we'll be together. And sometimes I think um, that we lose sight of what Christ's intention for the church are. No matter what we do. We've got things that we're going to look at tonight. But I want you to notice the theme, the thread in all of this. It's together. And as a church, our main thing, of all the main things that we do, we ought to do what we do together. And I want to focus on some of that this evening and ask God to help us tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us then to be um, sensitive to it, be willing to be submissive to it. God, I thank you for allowing us to be here and sit under the preaching and Open your word and study and look at it, God. We need it. I, I know as I preach this morning, this is central to our faith. It's central to our church. It's central to who we are in pleasing you, God. This, it is central to our biblical expectations. We, we, we have to have the word if we know how we're going to please God. And I pray that it help us to be willing to submit to it as a church. Lord, we thank you again for allowing us to be here for the reading of the word. Pray that you bless that. Bless our time together tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. As many of you know, I've already re- referenced this once um, in another message. A couple of weeks ago, we were able to go to Colorado um, for a few days with our family. It was my parents' 50th anniversary, and, and uh, we rented a house there in Estes Park, right outside of Rocky Mountain National Park. And one of the things that we do... Uh, we like to do as a family. We've gone to Yellowstone a couple times as a family. We we like to go see animals. That's just uh, that it, we get a kick out of that. We like to go um, see moose and bears and and uh, and deer and elk and bighorn sheep and whatever it is you name it. Um, then we like to go do that. It's something we like to do and. And so while we were driving into Estes Park, before we actually ever got there, we're driving along the, the road. And if you've ever been in a, in a park or in an area like that, anytime you come across a group of cars that are stopped uh, on the side of the road, you, you've got to stop because they're looking at something. And, uh, and so we, were, we saw a car stopped, and I, I looked and started trying to figure out what they were looking at. And I look up on the side of the hill, and there's two bears. Uh, just right there, just not very far across the river, and so I did a U-turn. It was very legal um, and undangerous. Did a U-turn and went back, and we got out. We, we took some pictures of the bears, and and it was just really neat to see that. So, um, but then we got to the the place we were staying, and and we were going into the park every day and finding these animals, and it was a we were having a good time. And um, but my my brother and uh, his wife hadn't seen. Um, really nobody had seen a bear except us. We, we were the ones that saw it on the way in. And, and so we really wanted to, to go to the park as much as we could to, to up our chances to see a bear. They wanted to see one. So, um, so we all then one night decided it wasn't all of us. It was my brother-in-law and my brother and his wife and myself, and we decided we were going to go to the park and look for animals. Okay. We didn't want to just sit around and at the house, we're there for an adventure. So we get in the, the Jeep, my brother had rented a Jeep, and we drove into the park and we park at this pond where, where we had seen other animals and we just sat there for like an hour. And the only thing we saw was a chipmunk. <laughs> we took pictures, I mean, it was a nice chipmunk, but you know, it wasn't a moose. We sat there and just sat there and, and little did we know that the whole time we sat there at the pond, My wife was at the house texting me frantically, trying to let me know that a bear had walked right up to the house where we were staying, and they were just watching it and taking pictures. But we didn't have any reception where we were, so we're watching a chipmunk. We say, okay, it's it's fine, it's getting dark, we might as well just head back to the house. We get to where we have reception again, it's only... Five minutes away, but there's no reception at all in, the, in Rocky Mountain National Park. We get five minutes away and our phones just start blowing up. And my wife has the audacity to rub it in my face and send me pictures of the bear <laughs> that they're watching just walk around the dumpster by the house. You know, and, and I was thinking how funny it is that, you know, if we had stayed where we were, we would have fulfilled the purpose we were there to fulfill, We were there to see animals. If we'd have just parked where we were and been content with where we were at, but we missed it because we left where we were. You know, that can happen in a church too. In a a church, you can get to the place where you're looking at what everybody else is doing and you think, well, maybe we're missing something. So... Let's change where we're going and let's move over there and we get over there only to find out later that you were in the right spot if you had just stayed where you were. And I think that can happen in churches in in recent months. I've seen a video of a pastor and his staff riding in on a roller coaster that the church built on a platform. I saw another video of a pastor that ziplined from the back of the sanctuary and landed on the platform. And obviously the point is that I need to make better entrances. What are you doing? Come on. No, I think the point is it's easy to forget what a church is supposed to do. And it's easy to start trying to meet consumer expectations. It's easy to get kind of lose sight of what we are supposed to be doing. And because if you get to the place where you're simply meeting consumer expectations, where does that end? Expectations continually change. The culture continually changes. And if the ones of the, in the culture are deciding where we go, there's no, end, there's no end to that. We'll always be changing. And if we're not careful in 10 years, we won't even recognize ourselves. Listen, we cannot trade where we are biblically and expect, uh, we can't trade where we are or what we are biblically expected to do for what the culture is expecting us to do. In uh, Acts 2, I think, gives us some help on that. This is the first church there at Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has been given to them. 3,000 souls have been added to their membership. And it's interesting, you would think that the first thing they do as a church is say, we need a building program. We need children's ministries. Uh, you know we need all of this. We need all this big stuff. Well no, they don't they they now they do get organized, but they but it's interesting that they go back to the basics. And as we looked at this morning, they say our focus right now is we're going to gather, we're going to give the gospel, and we're going to grow through the ministry of the word. That's what we're doing. We're going to focus on those things and and, and yet it doesn't end there. And tonight I want to look at some other things that this first church was focusing on. In the midst of this explosive growth, obviously they were gathering and giving the gospel and growing through the word. And if you think, oh, wow, pastor's getting alliterated. Okay, I, I blow that up tonight because I could not think of some G words for the rest of these, okay? So you're just going to have to remember them some other way. But look what else they do. Look what else they prioritize as a biblical church. They prioritize fellowship. Verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added to them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that's the teaching we looked at this morning, and fellowship, it says. Now that, the word for fellowship is koinonia, and it, it's a much deeper meaning than the casual sense in which we use it sometimes. Good Baptists believe in the three pillars of every social gathering, food, fun, and Fellowship. Around here, I think we could add firearms, too, but we're not going to do that. Food, fun, fellowship, and firearms, right? No, that, the word doesn't just mean socializing, though. Fellowship is not just hanging out. Christian fellowship is more than that. It's sharing something. And in this case, it's sharing a spiritual relationship. Christian fellowship is based on the commonality of our relationship with with Jesus Christ. That's what's indicated in the term fellowship, that there's a shared relationship. So being in Christ means that our relationship to each other cuts across all barriers. I mean, there's no barrier of race. There's no barrier of of language. There's no barrier of economic or economic uh, success or status. There's no barrier of age. There's no barrier of marital status. There's no barrier at all. People from all walks of life here in Jerusalem have come together and they have something in common because they have Jesus Christ. Verse 46 says, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. It says they met in the temple and they met in each other's homes, which means they were living life together. They were part of each other's lives. They were meeting regularly, and it wasn't sporadic. Uh, this, see, healthy families don't just get together once every few months. No, healthy families live life together. Healthy families are together. They spend time, and, and regular biblical fellowship is essential to a healthy church. Um, Don Whitney, who wrote Spiritual Disciplines in the Church, said this, if a child is going to be emotionally healthy... He needs the socialization and encouragement a family can provide. In the same way, every child of God needs the fellowship and encouragement that God intends for him to receive from a church family if he is going to be spiritually healthy. Folks, we need each other. I said it this morning, but we need each other. One element of fellowship that I see is an emphasis here on hospitality. Hospitality. You know, they, they went from house to house, the Bible says. They were eating together. They were part of each other's lives. So their fellowship extended beyond the temple court into each other's homes. And the picture is of believers opening up their homes, essentially opening up their lives to other believers for the purpose of edification, for the purpose of help and growth. And they did it, the Bible says, they did all of this with gladness. I mean, hospitality is letting people into your life, letting people into your home. It seems to be a lost art. Now, my, my mom is, I don't know, we could call her right now if we, if we wanted to. and be like, okay, we have 35 people. We're gonna be over in 10 minutes. Can you have a full meal ready? My mom was like, oh, sure, okay. You show up, sure enough. It's like she was there, Um, With the five loaves and two fishes and watch Jesus, watch what he did. And she's like, okay, I can do that. Yep. She multiplies it. She turned like a pot roast. I mean, it doesn't matter. She always has something ready. Now, she also likes to save things for a long time. My kids make fun of her. And who knows the food that she makes. It's probably been frozen since 1984. (laughs) But it's edible. It works. You know, and she just has this gift Of of hospitality this gift of hosting and and I I love that she has that gift it's a good thing to have and you say well that's just not my gift And, and it's hard for me to be that open but listen we need to prioritize hospitality as a church family I know that people are private. I know this, you know, this part of the country, sometimes we, we, we you know, we're pretty private. We're pretty reserved. I understand that. It seems, though, that privacy, that privacy is now, it's almost more prominent than it was before. And I don't know, I think maybe COVID had something to do with that. But we tend to put up these social walls. But listen, hospitality is a biblical mindset. For, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, it, use hospitality one to another without grudging Paul said in Romans chapter 12, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. That should be a mark of a Christian. We have folks that do this really well, and I'm so thankful for that. And I'm grateful that we've been hosted by people. I I love that. And I honestly, though, believe that this is, and I hope you hear this, that this is one of the keys to uh, our next level of ministry as a church is our commitment to hospitality, that you build relationships primarily outside of the church building. Now, you meet people inside, but you build relationships outside. You only have a certain amount of time. The time that we have in here is for the preaching and teaching of the word, for the edification of believers. We have certain things that we're trying to accomplish. It's about the Lord. It's about worship. Sure, we can fellowship before and after. But listen, hospitality means that you must commit to building relationships with people outside of the, church, or the walls of Eastside Baptist Church. And if we're going to live life together, hospitality and fellowship are key to that. One more thing, don't just gravitate toward those that are most like you. Amen. You know, isn't it, it's easy, isn't it, to say, I'm going to be hospitable, I'm going to host some people, um, we're going to host this family, because we like them. And the next month you say, well, we need to do it again. Um, let's have that family again, because we know them, and we like them. Next month, same thing. Next month, same thing. You know, it, it, that's probably our comfort zone, isn't it? All right, we know people that we, that we were comfortable with them. We like them. We get along with them. And, and we say, those are the ones that we're going to invite. But listen, let me just encourage you. Um, there were, remember that in Christ, there are no racial barriers. There are no economic um, status barriers. There's no no rule that says only people with this skin color can hang out. No, Jesus Christ did away with all of that. That wall of partition is gone. And if we are going to be a biblical New Testament church, then hospitality with people, not just your friends, is key to the growth and development of Eastside Baptist Church. Step outside the box. I mean, you think about the, some of the people that Jesus ate with. We'd say, I, ca- I cannot believe he ate with them. Well, that's what the Pharisees said. Yeah, right. you know, he, Jesus brought, in, brought the unlikeliest people together. Now, understand he wasn't being influenced by them. He was influencing them. But that's part of hospitality is that you say, okay, we don't know this family very well. We're going to have them in our home." And do I think we have a lot in common we, I don't know we, we may not but that's okay because if you are going to embrace the gospel listen the gospel is supposed to impact every part of our lives and the gospel has done away with all those barriers so the gospel if it's going to impact your life through hospitality then you are going to branch out in the people that you are hospitable towards don't, don't just be hospitable to the people you find relatable is it easier yes is it more fun probably but is it biblical to only be hospitable to your friends? I don't think so. So how how can we do that? Well, have a family over for a meal. They were in each other's homes. House to house, you say, well, Sundays are so busy. I know, but may, that's a, oftentimes that's the day that works out. People are at church. They can go from church to your house, but even in an evening through the week, I mean, that, uh, just have somebody over, invite somebody over that you don't know or invite somebody out to go to coffee. I mean, hospitality doesn't have to take place in your home. If it won't work well, just spend time with somebody. At the very least, never, here's a good rule, never let a guest stand by themselves at church. That's a good rule of hospitality. And see, and I was telling them in a men's prayer meeting, sometimes, you know, with our teenagers, and in, in, especially in Stillwater, I would make fun of them because they would stand in a circle like meerkats, like on the lookout for predators. They were in meerkat formation, you know. And it's like, no, you need to get outside of the meerkat circle. And you need to go out and find somebody that doesn't look like they belong and bring them into the circle or start a new circle with somebody that you don't know. And we've got to do this too as a church. Before and after church, who do you gravitate toward? Well, your friends. It makes sense. But as a gospel believer, then we ought to gravitate toward anybody that we see that doesn't have somebody fellowshipping with them. There should not be somebody standing alone that doesn't have somebody to talk to. Connect with somebody that you don't know. And listen, our church should feel like family. To do that, we should be connected and interested in each other's lives. Talk with each other, that's fine. Before the service, that's great. After the service, I know guys locking up may not like this, but I like it when people stick around and talk and fellowship and have a good time. It's healthy, but... If you're the only people in the building and there's some guy with a key that's just begging you with his eyes, please go. Take it outside. It's fine. Or if it's cold, go to somebody's house and hang out there. Be mindful. I mean, be mindful of that, but I like it when people fellowship. It's a blessing to me. The two things I really like to hear when I walk in the the church before church and people are talking and visiting, there's an anticipation about the services Uh, and after the church as well when people are out there talking. I really like that but I also really love to just stop and listen at men's prayer meeting on Sunday mornings. And just hear the guys um, praying throughout the, the building. It just does something for me. I just love those sounds but we need that kind of connection and fellowship and it doesn't happen accidentally it's nurtured by our commitment to regular and deliberate spiritual fellowship with each other so how are you doing at fellowship do you connect with those that you don't know well or are you kind of in your box When's the last time that you had folks over to your house or you took someone out to lunch or you invited somebody to spend time with over coffee? Listen, that's part of the main thing of Eastside Baptist Church. How are you doing in fellowship? Here's another biblical expectation of the main things is prayer. Look at verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly in prayer. That means that they purposed to make prayer a priority together and you say, oh, here we go. We're preaching on prayer. No, prayer is to be a mark of our church life together. We have two significant times of weekly prayer as a church. On Sunday morning, we have the men's prayer meeting. And this morning, I mean, we probably had 30 to 40 guys. It was a blessing uh, to have that many guys out. Then we also, on Wednesday nights, have a time of prayer, unless there's some, something else in the schedule that would prevent that. No, no, those things, men's prayer meeting, if I could say this this way, men's prayer meeting is not a peripheral service at Eastside Baptist Church. I I count men's prayer meeting as the first service of the day on Sunday. Wednesday night, I know sometimes Wednesday night gets a bad rap and people assume it's an expendable service. Wednesday night's not an expendable service. No, prayer services are as important as any service. The church provides opportunities. Are you taking advantage of them? See, when Jesus was casting out the money changers in the temple and he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of what? prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He was quoting Isaiah chapter 56, which calls the temple the house of prayer. And the New Testament temple, as we know, we saw last week in Ephesians 2, the New Testament temple is the local church. And if we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing, we ought to be a place where serious prayer happens. That we don't just come and read through a list and we're done and sometimes... I want to talk to, especially to our young guys, our teenagers here. I mean, sometimes you're done so fast at men's prayer meeting and I, I, I'm thinking probably you just read the list and got up. Don't do that with prayer. Take seriously that you are going before God. You're not reading a list, you're seeking the face of God. And it's okay on Wednesday nights. You say, well, I don't want, to, I don't want people to wait on me. It's okay for people to wait on you if you are seeking the face of God. Take the time you need. We we ought to be a house of prayer, the Bible says. Answer this, can a house pray? It's not a trick question. If I'm walking down the street and a house is praying, I'm going to run. No, people pray. Listen, so we're not a house of prayer just because I schedule a prayer meeting. No, we're a house of prayer if those who live in the house, who inhabit the house, decide to make prayer their priority. Listen, us being a house of prayer is not dependent on how many prayer meetings we schedule through the week. It is dependent on you getting serious about prayer and me getting serious about prayer. It is not about the building. It is about the people that make up this church saying, I'm tired of playing games with prayer. I want to be a serious prayer in this house of prayer. Listen, prayer is the key to God moving in our church. Prayer is the way that we reach God and let him know how serious we are about seeking him. Prayer, according to Isaiah 57, prayer is what God's respond, God responds to when he's looking for somebody humble and to bring revival to. That's, he's looking for prayer. Prayer is the key to souls being saved. He says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Prayer is the fuel that our church runs on. And we do a lot of other things, but we should never do anything more important than prayer. The great thing is listen any of us can do that. Some of the greatest prayer warriors in our church. I mean they're not teaching a class and they're not going out on soul winning and they've they've lived a long good life but they're and they're not able to do all the things they used to do but they're they're at home and they're praying for you. And they're praying for me and I'm thankful. Listen to some of our seasoned saints. I love I love our 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 older folks here. It's just a blessing. To have their faithfulness and their example. We love you and we're thankful for what you bring to the table here. Amen. We're grateful for you and your being prayer warriors on behalf of Eastside Baptist Church. Thank you for, for the contribution of your ministry. And it's a good example to the rest of us. Listen, we, we often don't pray because we can do other things. But that means we have it backwards. We ought not do other things until we've prayed. And we should never flip those two things because that means then that we're doing what we're doing in our own self-strength. So biblical expectations of a local church, what we see in here, there's fellowship, there's prayer, and there's community. Look at verse 44, it says, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. I see here a strong sense of community meaning they weren't just lone rangers living their own lives they were operating without with responsibility and accountability and this was also new to them that they recognized they needed each other they, we, they're like, we, this is so new, we've never seen anything like this. What are we going to do with all these people? We need each other. They were committed to each other. And I love, I love the word community. It's like if the, if, um, the word, uh, you know, it's kind of like a combination of these two words. If you've got the word commitment and you've got the word unity and they come together and have a baby. What do you have? Community. Commitment and unity. Community. I love the word. And I really believe that those two things sum up what's happening in the first church. You've got commitment from people. They're committed to each other. And you've got unity and that everyone's on the same page. And they come together and they've got a community. And they're with each other. They're for each other. And we are to be committed to the unity and this body of believers. When you think about what this looked like, you realize how serious it was. Maybe the most impressive part about their community was the responsibility they took for each other. It says, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They were serious about meeting each other's needs. When somebody had a legitimate need, they were willing to put their money where their mouth was. Now, now understand, this is not indicating that the early Christians lived in a commune. We're not, I'm not saying that's what we're supposed to do. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 4, then, and let's go ahead and read that. We'll go to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. I want you to notice, it's not like this verse is saying that they no longer had personal private possessions. Look at Acts chapter 4, Acts 4, verse 32. It says in the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the thing which uh, he possessed was his own. But they had all things common and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any, th- any among them that lacked For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, when you read that, then I brought you over there, Acts 4, to let you see you realize that that it's not like they had sold everything and they had nothing left. There's still, even over in Acts chapter 4, there are people that possess things. They have lands and they have houses. It's not as if they didn't have any possessions. But here's the thing, they were so committed to meeting the needs of each other that if a need arose, it seems as if the wealthier among them were willing to say, these folks have need, I have this extra piece of property over here or this extra house over here. I'm going to sell that and I'm going to bring the money from the sale and I'm going to lay it at the apostles' feet to distribute to the needs of the needy church members. You say, well, that is extreme. No, that's being part of a community. And you say, well, is that what we're supposed to do? Are we supposed to sell things as people have needs? No, this was a different time. There were folks in serious poverty, and they had no options. A widow uh, could not just go out as a woman and just get a job. And there were people that literally had no options. They were, there, were no, there was no government funding. There was no government help. Many of these families, many of these folks came from families that had forsaken them because they followed Jesus Christ. They had nothing. But they were a community who were willing to meet each other's needs. One commentator said it this way, they were so bonded that if one was in need, the others did not feel they had the right to live on in prosperity without giving up something to meet that need. So they would sell possessions and use the money to meet the needs of the poor in the church. And you say, well, that's extreme. No, that's the kind of mindset you have when you have a community of people. It was a different culture. It didn't have the same resources. But so Christians took responsibility for meeting the needs of others. And I know we don't live in a third world country, but the mindset ought to be the same. I'm not saying go sell everything you have and bring it to the church. No, I'm saying that we ought to have such a sense of community and such a sense of responsibility to each other that we say if there's a need and God will allow me, I'm going to help them meet that need take responsibility for each other how do we do it well as the lord leads be willing to provide i'm not even saying that you go out with a plan i'm saying god i have these resources if you will bring somebody along with a need and you lay it on my heart to help meet that need i'm going to do that listen it's the sign of an incredibly healthy church that those things happen all the time and it doesn't have to run through the church when you have a sense of community and you have a sense of love for each other, you don't have to have a program for that. It happens naturally. It's love working. but uh, sometimes it does go through the church so I would say give faithfully because there are times that needs are are never made public but because of your faithful giving and there are people in this room that have, have, have been helped in some way or another but as those needs aren't made public but because of your faithful giving there are times we're able to help a church member or a family in a tough spot or in the event of loss because you've given faithfully It doesn't look exactly the same, but it's the same kind of mindset. And how else do you do this? Well, here's a good way. Know other people so well that you are aware when they have a legitimate need. The reason that we often don't meet people's needs is because we're living unto ourselves. We're going about just doing our thing, living our life, and we don't know that there's a need because we're not paying attention. I remember one time, I mean, years ago, we had, we, we had a, a work night at the church and, and there were probably 25 or 30 guys that showed up for this work night. And while we were there working, doing this work, some, one of the guys, a, a younger guy, and he's just learning, he's just newly married, had a couple of little kids, and, and he pulls up and he sees everybody there and he's like, what's going on tonight? And I said, well, you know, we have a work night going on. He's like, I didn't hear about this. I didn't know about this. I mean I would have come if I had known and in my mind I'm thinking there well 25 to 30 other guys did know about it because when you are that committed to your community of believers you don't have to have a bulletin or an email announcement you have your finger on the pulse of the church and you just know when there's a need and we ought, to be, we ought to be that committed to Eastside Baptist Church that we're not have to, we don't have to be told when something needs to happen. We are just so aware of what's going on in people's lives. We're, so, we're such a community-oriented church that we know when there's a need and we're going to help fill that need. And I don't have to have an email announcement to know because I'm just aware and I'm in tune. And when you have a heart for the people that you serve with, you're going to pay attention. You know, what's interesting is that night, the guy that drove up and saw the 25 to 30 men working and said, how come I wasn't told about this? When I told him, well, you know, there are a lot of other guys did. Maybe just need to pay better attention. Um, Right after that, he drove off in his car and went home. So, I mean, as an indication of the fact that it wasn't about not knowing. It was about that he just wasn't in tune with what was happening. Listen, meeting the needs of people is a natural outflow of community. When you know each other, you help each other. And we're not meant to live the Christian life alone. As we do life together, it helps us to meet these biblical expectations. I mean, think about the biblical expectations we've been talking about. Just even, this, even this morning, we've got gathering, we've got giving the gospel, we've got growing through the word. Tonight, we've got fellowship. We've got prayer. We've got community. Listen, all of these are biblical expectations of Eastside Baptist Church. And I want to just illustrate this with some guys. I've already talked to some guys about being part of this. They're so excited about it. So if y'all, two of you can go get the table and bring it here. And I I just want to illustrate the word together and help you to see that unless we work together together, we cannot fulfill the biblical ex. Go ahead, actually, let's, let's do this right down here. Let's do it down here. Right in front of the this step right there. So uh, I'm gonna have, um, well, we'll just wait. Let's see how long it takes him. Yeah, and don't forget the, the little latches. There you go, that would be bad. Okay, so I'm gonna have Connor um, get up on the table here. Now, w- what I'm gonna illustrate to you is how important it is that we do things together so that we can fulfill the expectations of the biblical expectations of a local church. Let's say that Connor represents the biblical expectations of a local church. And if we're going to fulfill these, then in order to fulfill them, then the table has to come off the ground. Okay. So that's kind of the idea. If we're going to fulfill the biblical expectations of a church, then, then the table is going to come off the ground. But let's say that we're not together in the endeavor. Let's say that there's only a very small portion. Let's even just say that only one of us has a heart to fulfill the biblical expectations of a local church, and that person happens to be Carter because he's super spiritual. Okay, so Carter, let's see if he by himself is trying to fulfill the biblical expectations of his church. Let's see what happens when he does. Okay, that did not work very well. Okay, so all right, so we obviously need more help. We've got to do this together, so we're going to jump in and have Ashton then do the same thing. Now, it's just Ashton and Carter. It's just these two doing their part. I mean, that's better than just one. But if we're not doing it all together, what happens? Right, okay. The biblical expectations of our church fall flat. Well, let's say that we have 75%. And now Jonah jumps in, and he's going to help. What happens? Again, because we don't have the fourth person doing his part, then the biblical expectations of our church can't be fulfilled. So what happens then when everybody gets on board and does their part? Let's just see. The biblical expectations of our church are finally met. I, I was thinking y'all you know, would give them a hand for being so strong or something. No, so, so this represents what we're trying to do at Eastside Baptist Church. If we have 25% we are not going to fulfill the biblical expectations of our church. If we just, even 50%, 50% is good, but 50% is not enough to fulfill the biblical expectations of our church. 75% is great, but 75% is not enough. Now, if we are going to be the biblical expectation as a local New Testament church, we need all hands on deck... We need 100% participation. One more time just to sh- show that it wasn't a trick. It was real. Okay, there you go. Excellent. Now you can, you can just move the table over there. So listen, that, that when you, so we're talking about all the things that we've seen in Acts chapter 2 so far. Listen, 25% of gather, in gathering is not enough. is not enough. The expectation from God in gathering is 100%. That means every time we're here, we have a meeting, a service, then you ought to be here. And you say, but Wednesday nights, it's just in the middle of the week and I've got so much going on. Uh, How do you justify that biblically? If we're going to be a biblical Church, we must have 100% participation when it comes to gathering, when it comes to giving the gospel. Listen, one guy giving the gospel, that's great. Two guys is great. Three, four. But listen, it's not enough to just have 25%. We need 100% participation if we're going to fulfill the biblical expectation of giving the gospel as a local church. When it comes to growing through the word, if only 25% of our church is committed to growth through the teaching and preaching of God's word, that's better than 0%, but that's not God's expectation. He expects 100%. When it comes to fellowship, listen, one guy can't fellowship by himself. And honestly, two guys can have pretty good fellowship, but can you imagine how sweet it would be in the, in the, in the, in the sight of God if 100% ...of the people of Eastside Baptist Church said, I am committed to fellowship. Prayer. I'm thankful that we have some prayer warriors. It's a blessing. One or two is great. But can you imagine if this was a church, 100% of our church was committed to prayer. What might God do in Sioux Falls? When I talk about community, you can't have a community if it's just 25% involvement or 50% participation or even 75%. You know, if we're going to be a community that fulfills the biblical expectations of this local church, we need 100% participation. You know what the key word in all this is? Remember it? Together. If we're going to do this, we've got to do it Together. Can't just be one or two of us. It can't just be a few of us. It's got to be all of us. Now, can we get by as a church and just have a small percentage doing these? Yes, but we won't fulfill the biblical expectations of a church. And I'm afraid then you say, well, 50%. That's better than what we used to have. But it's not God's expectation. And so what I'm saying is, you are part, you are part either of the ...of the part that's doing it... ...or you're contributing to the part that's not. And is there some one of these areas in your life... ...that you say, man, I've really let this fall... ...in my gathering, I've not been faithful. In my giving of the gospel, it's been a long time... ...since I gave somebody the word of God. Talked to them about Jesus. I've not, not been very committed... ...to growing through teaching. Um, listen, I believe that the, the key growth of our church at Eastside takes place at 9.45 on Sunday mornings. Through the teaching in those classrooms, from the nursery kids all the way up to the sanctuary class, I think that is the key because you've got fellowship, you've got accountability, you've got that closeness that you don't necessarily get in a bigger service, and I think 9.45 is key, but we've got too large of a percentage of folks that don't show up at 9.45. We're not committed to growing through the word like we ought to and by the way let me just encourage you at 9 45 or at ten forty-five, or at six or at seven especially the guys hey if you're here don't be standing out there come sit in the in the room and place yourself under the preaching and the teaching so that we can be an example to our children that says we prioritize their teaching we prioritize, in other words, the Bible is, is, is important enough to me that I'm not just going to come and hang out. I'm going to come and sit myself under the preaching because that's how much it means to me. I don't want to be part of the 25% that doesn't. I want to be part of the 100% that does. You see, we've got to do this together. If we're going to be hospitable, how, how are you doing in hospitality? was the last time that you had somebody over or stepped outside of your box how about in prayer? I may, maybe we ought to just say, you know what, I, I, I want to pray, but I, I need some help in praying, and you pick one person in this church and say, that's my prayer partner. That's the person I go to when I have a need. That's a person I pray with. We talk about these things. We're going to have the accountability of prayer. We're going to get together in prayer. Listen, I, know, I know some of that's hard, but, but I, I, and I'm not saying, hey, You know, all of us need to be perfect right now. I'm saying, if we want to be a church that fulfills the biblical expectations that Jesus Christ has given us as Eastside Baptist Church, we just need to be together. 100% all in. And let's not say, well, they can do it. No, we need you to do it too. Have you ever been in an argument or at odds with somebody and you're going back and forth? And something gets said and suddenly it's like a light bulb. You say, mm, I'm wrong. If you say no, never, then you're proud. <laughs> no, I hate that. I, I've been in arguments before where it's like I'm, I'm doing my own thing and I have my own ideas and I'm moving right along. And somebody says something or in a moment maybe just clarity comes to me and they say, oh, I'm, I'm not right about this it's happened to me before it happens to me too much usually when I'm communicating with my wife <laughs> I'm wrong you know uh, that it can happen this way at in church too you're like oh man, this is what I'm doing I'm just rolling along I'm doing what I've been doing for a long time just kind of doing my thing and church is kind of just something I go through the motions with and you know, it's kind of about me and, you know, and all these, we just are, can be really inward, can't we? And I, I really believe that a text like Acts 2 can be a wake-up call. It's like, oh, I've been wrong. I've been doing this wrong. I've kind of been making church all about what I like and my preferences and how it, it, it conveniences or inconveniences me, and it's kind of all been about, you know, me through for a while but right now, it's like, man, it's a moment of clarity. It's a light bulb. I haven't been doing this the right way. I've been a lone wolf. You say, well, you know, because I, I don't really feel like I need the community. And I don't feel like I need all of that. It's not about what you need. And it's not about what you prefer. It's about the commandment of the New Testament. That says a local church does things together. So it's not about maybe even what you feel you need as much as it is you submitting to the requirements of God for a local New Testament church. The expectations of a local church. And maybe even more than that, doing what God deserves for us to do. He deserves a people that are unified and together and doing things as a community and doing things for each other because his gospel did that for us. Amen. That he gave himself so that we could come together and for us then to be doing our own thing is to frustrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think it's time maybe, it maybe like an argument. We're rolling along realizing, wait a second, I think I've been doing this wrong. Maybe it's just time for us to back up and say, Father, help me not be the reason Eastside doesn't fulfill the biblical expectations of a church because I haven't been doing things together. I want to be part of what allows Eastside to fulfill the expectations that Christ has placed on this church. Maybe, I think you, realize, you don't realize how big a part you play in this. Every person matters in this because we need somebody on every corner we can't let any corners fall or we don't get to fulfill the expectations we need 100 percent participation from the youngest member to the oldest member we all just need this mentality tonight let's do this together let's all get on the on board let's all lift at the same time and see what god might do through a local church that does things together. Let's stand together.